With Russell Wilson now in Denver, the Seahawks have plenty of quarterback concerns heading into the 2022 season. Could a future Hall of Famer come out of retirement and ease those concerns in the short term? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing on the latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Wednesday to all of our listeners. And as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks didn't draft a quarterback. They haven't made any big moves to add another signal caller to the mix since trading Russell Wilson. Could a future Hall of Famer come out of retirement and help save the day? Rob and I are going to be exploring that possibility plus putting a wrap on our Inside the Draft series with seventh-round pick Dariq Young. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Back in 2011, Tyler Lockett broke out on the scene for Kansas State as a true freshman, ended up having one of the best careers for any player in school history, and now he is going to have his number go up in the rafters. Kansas State announcing today that Lockett would be one of six players inducted into their school's ring of honor in their season opener against South Dakota. And Rob, this shouldn't be surprising because you and I, we've been watching Tyler Lockett since he was a freshman at Kansas State. I remember watching, and, and I watched a lot of Kansas State games randomly because I always had a lot of respect for Bill Snyder, but I was watching him in 2011 and I just kept wondering, who is this tiny little number 16? Because he returned a punt for a touchdown in that game, had several really nice catches. And I just wanted to figure out who this kid was. And I said, oh, he's a true freshman. And ended up just tearing up the record books at Kansas State. Much deserved to be in their ring of honor. Yeah, I mean, what an accomplishment. I mean, obviously, just to be honored by your, you know, the, the program in which you graduated from, not the high school level, but at the college level. And of course, Tyler Lockett is uh, a legacy, you know, both his father and his uncle both went to Kansas State as well. I mean, so I, I think that, that Tyler Lockett um, ha, has got to just be feeling like, you know, kind of like he's floating on air at, at this point. So I, I love that we're, we're kind of highlighting this this kind of accomplishment for Tyler Lockett. I mean, unbelievable player for Kansas State and, of course, for the Seattle Seahawks. And obviously an, an unbelievable person off the field as well. I mean, that, that's the biggest reason why the Seahawks have brought him back. Those of you who are watching on YouTube or watching live um, are, are able to kind of see the different um, you know, statistics and acknowledgments that, that he earned over his time at Kansas State. And, and for those of you who are not, and I'll just kind of read off some of the things that, that Corbin posted here for us. We're talking about two-time first-team All-American. Let me just repeat that again two-time first-team All-American in his freshman season as well as his senior season. So talk about starting and ending your college career on the highest of high levels. A two-time first-team All-Big 12, one-time second-team All-Big 12 as, as a receiver. I mean, it, 
what, what Lockett was able to do at Kansas State in an offense that, as you kind of referred to with the head coach, Bill Snyder, another one that, that I am very much a fan of as well. I mean, it was kind of a pro-style offense. I mean, you didn't always have the quarterbacks who threw the ball, as you might expect at the, at the pro level. But at the same time, this was not one of those kind of dink and dunk, pass-happy pass Big 12 offenses that we've seen from other programs. You had to earn your production if you were going to be a wide receiver playing for Kansas State. And so the fact that Lockett was able to do so as a return man as well as a receiver really does speak to the versatility, the quickness, the speed, the reliable hands, and of course the incredible durability despite being a smaller guy that Lockett has demonstrated throughout his entire collegiate as well as NFL career. You mentioned that his father and his uncle were both legacies. They played at Kansas State. His father was actually the school record holder for receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns until Tyler came along and decided, you know what, Dad, I'm going to up you on all of these records. And he still holds all of them. In fact, he's almost 700 yards ahead of his dad for first place in the receiving yardage category at Kansas State. And since he left and went to the NFL, nobody has come close to matching those numbers. So he's the best receiver in Kansas State history and probably the best kick returner in Kansas State history. As I mentioned, I remember watching him as a true freshman in the game that I turned on. It might have actually been a kickoff that he returned. I saw him return a punt for a touchdown at one point at Kansas State live in a game, but he did both. And we saw him do it in the NFL as well. Somehow he lasted till pick 69 in the third round in 2015. And John Schneider at the time made a really interesting trade, packaged four picks to send to the Washington Commanders to move up to number 69. That's kind of a steep uh, price to pay to move into the third round, but it's turned out to be a pretty darn good investment by John Schneider and the Seahawks. You look at where Lockett is at now. He's been an all-pro selection three times as a specialist for the Seahawks. Three straight seasons with over 1,000 receiving yards. Only Steve Largent had done that before him in Seahawks history. He owns the record with 100 receptions in a season two years ago. And he's just been a dynamic threat everywhere that he's been on the field, whether it's been returning kicks, the few times they've ran the football with him, obviously as a deep threat, intermediate game. He's been able to do it all. And for the most part, you mentioned durability. He broke his leg a few years back, but he came right back. He has been available consistently for the Seahawks. So I have a feeling that this will not be the first time that he has his number hoisted into the rafters. And I think we might see it happen at Lumen Field someday. I certainly hope so. Uh, I think that's one of the things that the Seahawks have always made a, a you know, made such a priority is, is highlighting their players with their on-field accomplishments and then obviously what they do off the field as well. Now, I love that you just at least you know, referenced Steve Largent, um, because to me, that is, you know, the the epitome of, of what you're looking for on and off the field. And obviously the fact that they both play at the wide receiver position, both of them were a little bit, you know, kind of, you know, just not as well respected as some of the other pro prospects that were drafted ahead of them in the case of Lockett. And of course, with Largent being an undrafted for agent, I mean, that, that was that much more uh, of a situation for him. But still, just who they are as human beings, I think, is the biggest thing here. And uh, again, just nothing but praise uh, to kind of push towards Tyler Lockett. Uh, all, you know, just kind of bow down to the man for everything that he has been able to do during his time in Manhattan, Kansas, as well as his time here in Seattle. 
I think the only thing that I would have changed if I was Kansas State, I looked at the players that have been inducted to the Ring of Honor, and somehow his father is not one of the, now it would be 20 players that are in the Ring of Honor. I think it would have been really cool if they both would have been inducted at the same time, because obviously they're two of the greatest players that have ever played for Kansas State, but his dad is not in the Ring of Honor yet. They've been doing it since 2002, and they seem to induct every five or six years. So it's not an every year thing that they do for their program, but this will push the total up to 20. They have six players, Tyler being one of them, have a couple others, Colin Klein, who played quarterback. I think that the two of them were on campus together for a year or two, but obviously one of the best quarterbacks Kansas State has had, as well as linebacker Arthur Brown, who spent a brief spell with the Seahawks and was in the NFL for a while. Really good college player for Kansas State. So exciting for Tyler. He'll get the opportunity to get inducted at that season opener. Who knows if he'll actually be in attendance or not because of the timing, but I would anticipate that Pete Carroll is going to be cool with Tyler Lockett flying to Manhattan for this honor, and I would anticipate he's going to be there. When we return for our next segment, the Seahawks have some questions at quarterback with Russell Wilson now being in Denver. There's some questions out there, but might there be an unlikely replacement that wants to make a comeback in the NFL? Rob and I are going to be exploring that here in a moment. I love brownies, and the best part, brownie batter. Sometimes I eat half the batter just while I'm making the brownies. I should say most of the time. Now imagine if you could devour that batter while also getting a bunch of protein. You're in luck because Built Bar has a new creation, and this one is better than ever, the Brownie Batter Puff. This puff takes protein bars to a whole new level, and they're available right now on Built.com. Have you tried Built Puffs yet? I'm not sure what you're waiting for. Puffs are a chocolate-covered marshmallow protein bar. It's a marshmallow on steroids. Delicious flavored marshmallow covered in 100% chocolate, just 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 7 grams of sugar. Brownie batter puffs are the perfect pick for any day and won't obliterate your diet like a Cam Chancellor hit stick. All built puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that with built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. The brownie batter puffs will have you going completely insane with deliciousness. No need to pinch yourself. This isn't a dream. Go to built.com to get brownie batter puffs now. Visit built.com, use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at built.com for 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. This has been an off-season of turbulence and transformation for the Seahawks. And obviously the most notable departure, Russell Wilson being traded to the Broncos in mid-March for a couple first-round picks, a couple second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, and three veterans. One of those veterans coming back and returning the trade was Drew Locke, former second-round pick out of Missouri. And the Seahawks have not really made any other notable moves to address the quarterback position. They did re-sign Geno Smith. Jacob Eason's coming back. They added Levi Lewis, an undrafted rookie out of Louisiana. He might get a chance to battle for a practice squad spot. But Baker Mayfield, they haven't attempted to trade for him. There hasn't been any movement on that front. They didn't acquire anyone else. So it's looking more and more, Rob, like the Seahawks are going to go into this next season with Geno Smith competing against Drew Locke for that starting quarterback position. But might there be another name to throw in consideration here? Not one that I expected we were going to be talking about. I think the chances of this happening are extremely slim. But it is worth mentioning because Drew Brees, 
future Hall of Fame quarterback, spent most of his career with the New Orleans Saints, won a Super Bowl in New Orleans, retired before the 2021 season. He sparked a little bit of a stir this weekend with a tweet that he posted, and this was on the heels of reports surfacing that NBC was not going to be bringing Drew Brees back as an announcer. And Brees shortly after, I don't know if it was just those reports that spurred this, but he tweeted, despite speculation from media about my future this fall, I'm currently undecided. I may work for NBC football again. I may focus on business and philanthropy. I may train at the pickleball tour, senior golf tour, coach my kids or all the above. I'll let you know. Now, I must say, Rob, look at this tweet that initially I thought this has got to be all jest, especially when I saw the comment about pickleball, though I think Drew Brees is the kind of guy that if he wants to go on the pickleball tour, he probably would be dominant at it because that's the type of guy that we're talking about, extremely competitive, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. And there were even some reports last year, the Saints, after Jameis Winston got hurt, tried to get Drew Brees to come back. He didn't take that overture, but... Some comments made by Peter King, who I think has got some pretty darn good sources, just that there may be some teeth to the idea that he wants to play again. And I don't know that it would be in New Orleans. I don't know if the Saints would invite him back in, given the structure of the team. I think they're confident in Jameis Winston. If he wants to play, he's a free agent. It opens the door for a team like the Seahawks that could use an upgrade at quarterback in the short term to maybe try to persuade him to play in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, Corbin. I, I think that when you first hear it, you, you kind of just chuckle. Like, oh, hey, that'd be cool. You're, you're going to bring in a Hall of Famer and might be able to you know, give you a year. Um, you know, yeah, that, that makes some sense. And then on, on the flip side, you kind of think, well, you know, Seattle obviously is doing a little bit of a roster rebuild at this point. They like the young quarterbacks that they have here. You know, does it really make some sense? And then you got to go back to who is the head coach? Who is the grand poobah who actually pulls all the strings in Seattle? And Pete Carroll, the aging guy that he is, the guy that has demonstrated and publicly stated his incredible respect for Drew Brees over the years, you have to at least consider the possibility because, my goodness, Drew Brees is Drew Brees. And we're talking about one of the absolute best players that the game has ever seen, regardless of position. So just like the fact that some people may have scoffed at the idea that Seattle would bring back Jerry Rice, and yet they did, and then Seattle might bring back a guy like Adrian Peterson, and yet they did, that those who are just kind of laughing off the possibility that Seattle might bring back Drew Brees, if Drew Brees was amenable to the idea of coming all the way across the country and playing for a team, and let's face it, the Seattle Seahawks at this point are not a club that we think are going to be competing for a Super Bowl this next season. But still, if Drew Brees was willing to do that, then I think the Seattle is absolutely going to at least kick the tires, at least have a conversation um, and again, I, I, I would agree with you, Corbin. I, I don't think that it's very likely that Drew Brees is going to come to Seattle. But considering that everybody is basically, you know, hitching their wagons to the idea that Seattle is going to bring in some other type of quarterback this year, then if you're going to go for a different quarterback, why, quote unquote, settle for a guy like a Baker Mayfield? Why not go for a future Hall of Famer? The literally the league's most explosive, or excuse me, um, the most productive at least passer in NFL history. 
in Drew Brees. I mean, especially when you have the wide receiver talent that Seattle already has. You have the, the developing defense, the running game that Seattle already has. I mean, that might make some sense to a guy like Drew Brees. Now, again, I do think that the most likely scenario is the stand, Seattle stands pat and goes to the quarterbacks that they already have. And I am among those who think that that's the, the best idea for this club. But at the same time, if Seattle were to, or if Drew Brees, in fact, is interested in jumping back into the NFL mix, then I think the Seattle Seahawks absolutely should be considering making that phone call. There's some reasons why you could look at this and think, man, this isn't a very good fit. For one, the last that we saw Drew Brees in 2020, it was very clear at 41 years of age that the arm strength had dissipated. He was struggling to get the ball downfield. He missed some games with an injury, an injury that was a significant one at that. And so I think he thought at that point, it is time for me to walk away. And so he retired before last season. And he's going to be 43 years old before the start of this next season. So we're not talking about a spring chicken. This guy is up there with Tom Brady, and you could see some of those signs of decline. That lack of a deep ball, that's an issue when your top two receivers are DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And you know Pete Carroll loves those deep shot plays. You're not going to be able to do as many of those with a guy like Drew Brees at this stage of his career. Five or six years ago, this would have been a great fit. But the things that he does do well still, he completed 70% of his passes. He's one of the most accurate passers that's ever played in the game. And this is a guy that when you've got weapons on the outside, he's going to get the football to his players in a position where they can make plays. Yards after the catch would spike for the Seahawks with Drew Brees. And you know that he's going to be that game manager. And I know that that sometimes gets a negative connotation, but Drew Brees is one of the greatest game managers ever. He doesn't turn the ball over very much. Doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, extremely accurate, very cerebral. So I think when you consider those things that are still there, that Drew Brees would be a very fascinating addition to this football team if they have the run game they believe they're going to have. There's going to be less pressure on Drew Brees at this point. Like, hey, you don't have to go back and throw the ball 50 times a game. We are going to run the ball. We're going to play stingy defense. And we got receivers when we do throw the ball, you're going to have great success. They're going to get open. Suddenly, that sounds like a fascinating team. Again, I'm with you. There's probably very little chance is going to happen, and there are some big negatives. He never necessarily played well the games he was in Seattle either, so the weather might be something that turns him off as well. But I think when you look at some of the positives, though, it starts to make you think, you know, for a one- or two-year thing, this could be pretty fun, and then that gives him a chance to get that young quarterback they want that can step in, and they're going to have the foundation around that player. Real quick, just to put in perspective what Drew Brees would bring to this football team, I put together a couple graphics, Rob, and looking at Drew Brees versus Drew Locke, and this is based on their 2020 numbers, the last time that Drew Locke was a full-time starter and the last time that Drew Brees played in the league. If you look, the passing yards are extremely similar. Drew Brees barely has the edge there. Now, touchdowns to interception, there's a huge difference. Brees was 24 versus 6, while Locke threw an NFL-high 15 interceptions and just 16 touchdowns. His passer rating was more than 25 points lower. Completion rate, almost 13% lower. Yards per attempt, almost a full yard lower. So the numbers do not stack up between these two in a lot of ways. But again, this is a couple years ago for Drew Locke. He was coming out of the COVID situation with rookie receivers. He hadn't played much with. It was a new offense. So there are some things here that are a bit intriguing when you consider the possibility of those two competing against each other. I would think of Drew Brees coming out of retirement, though. He's the guy. 
you got to, he's got to be a starter to want to come back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't imagine that Drew Brees is going to come back and, and be the backup. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be fascinating to kind of not only look at what Drew Brees might be able to do, but uh, against Drew Locke, but also Drew Brees against Geno Smith. Because I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there that, that might be kind of wondering that. And if we were, and look at Corbin, how good he is here, just posting this again, anybody who is watching live or watching later on YouTube is going to be able to see these numbers. But for those of you who did not do that, then let me just kind of, you know, brag about Gino a, a touch here. I mean, if you look at the, the passing yards, Drew Brees in 2020 um, had 2,942 passing yards. You, If you were to extrapolate Gino Smith's numbers um, based on what he did in his, you know, couple of starts that he had for the Seahawks this past season, then he actually is going to wind up throwing for more passing yards, 2,983, again, over a long-term season. Um, and then, to me, the, the biggest numbers you're looking at um, and it's something that Pete Carroll has always prioritized is how efficient are you in the red zone um, and are you turning the ball over? Drew Brees' numbers in terms of touchdowns and interceptions is one of the reasons why he is going to go in as a first ballot uh, guy into the Hall of Fame. 24 touchdowns against just six interceptions in his 2020 season. But again, if you were going to extrapolate what Geno Smith did, then he would be on pace for 21 touchdowns and only four interceptions. And that is a pretty staggering number considering what we just talked about previously with Drew Locke when he did lead the NFL in interceptions um, in, in, in his starts previously with the Denver Broncos in 2020. So again, that is the one that I think is, is most telling of this and, and why, as you and I have talked about, Corbin, that Geno Smith uh, might just be the favorite heading into this you know, perceived kind of battle with Drew Locke as well as Jacob Eason because the fact that he just simply does not turn the ball over. And that has been one of the biggest reasons why Drew Brees it would, might be a consideration for the Seahawks as well is because he hasn't turned the ball over either. Yeah, that's never been the MO for Drew Brees. He's always been careful with the football, and he'll attack downfield. And like I said, the last few years of his career, he hasn't been able to as much because his arm strength has dissipated some, but still really good numbers for him in 2020. And you look at those numbers, and again, this would be Geno Smith taking four games and turning it into 17. You and I both know that some of these numbers would not have turned out quite like this if he played the entire season. And we expect that they wouldn't. But a 68% completion percentage, 7.4 uh, yards per attempt, and then a 103 passer rating. I mean, he had a big enough sample size that you could look at him and be like, look, he was better on third down than Russell Wilson was. He was getting the ball to his receivers. He was throwing to the middle of the field, something Russell Wilson failed to do a lot of the time. There were a lot of positives to look at. So I think when you compare these numbers again, this is based on us turning a four-game stint into a 17-game stint for Geno Smith last year. We don't know what he would have done if he played the entire season. And this is a guy that did have some issues with interceptions early in his career. Granted, he was playing for a pretty bad New York Jets team at the time, and he was a young quarterback. He is not a young quarterback anymore. He's learned a lot being on the sidelines under Russell Wilson as a backup. And so, yeah, I think he's got a great chance to potentially be your starter in week one over Drew Locke. And if somehow Drew Brees enters the discussion, then both these guys are going to be backup material. With Drew Brees' track record, again, he's not going to be coming back to hold a clipboard or a Microsoft Surface Pro. Like, that's not what he's going to be returning for. He's going to be returning to throw the football all over the place. And 
I would still think compared to what Seattle has, Drew Brees is not what he was three or four years ago. But I would still think that Drew Brees would be a major upgrade in 2022. So much so, in fact, that I believe if you put him in this offense with the running backs they've got, with the receivers they've got, his ability to get rid of the football quickly, that's the other thing that he's excelled at throughout his career. And I think in Shane Waldron's offense, it would be a perfect fit that I think that this could be not only a team that competes for a playoff spot, I think they could surprise people and compete for a division title potentially. That's how big of a gap there would be at the quarterback spot. I don't know how much noise they'd make in the playoffs because Breeze is not what he once was. But if healthy and wanting to play, I think in Shane Waldron's offense, it would be a lot of fun. I will leave it at that because, again, I don't think this is going to happen. But the door has at least been kept open a crack for the possibility he would play again. And Seattle would be one of those teams that would have some interest because of their quarterback situation. Again, I 100% agree with you in that. I do think that he would, that Drew Brees would be a terrific fit in Shane Waldron's offense. And at the same time, I just think that the Seahawks are absolutely looking to go with the younger quarterback and see what, uh, what they already have in the field. So I, I would be surprised if Seattle was to make this move, but again, it, it kind of goes back to the, that old dumb and dumber line. So you're saying there's a chance. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> Anytime you have an opportunity to bring in a Hall of Famer, especially one as classy as Drew Brees is, I think that's something that the Seahawks will absolutely explore. We're going to zoom back to our draft focus here in a moment, wrapping up our Inside the Seahawks draft. We've covered every draft pick except for Seattle's last one. We did talk to his receiver coach on yesterday's podcast, but we're going to take an even deeper look at Dariq Young, what the Lenore Ryan standout brings to the Seahawks when we return in a moment. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time to put a bow on our Inside the Seahawks draft series. Last year when we did this, it lasted half a week because the Seahawks only had three draft picks. Well, this year they had nine. And up to this point, we've covered the first eight. And we got a little bit of a head start on our final draft pick yesterday, talking with his coach from Lenore Ryan. And that is Dariq Young, six foot two, 222 pounds, 4.44 second 40 yard dash. His coach yesterday said he would have ran in the four threes if it wasn't for the wind. And he actually got timed in that range. So this guy's got blazing speed. He's going to be coming from the Division II level. So there's a major jump in competition. But so far, he's been able to hit the ground running, enjoyed rookie minicamp. And he's going to get an opportunity now, Rob, to try to carve out a role on special teams and maybe play his way down the road into some meaningful snaps on offense as a versatile weapon that can be moved around. Yeah, and that's the thing is uh, it is the versatility that that he demonstrated that to me is the most intriguing thing about him. Um, you know, we, we as the, again those people who are able to watch live or on YouTube can kind of see the the strengths and weaknesses that Drake Young possesses. And again, if you were able to read those things, then don't read. Look over to the left. Look at how this man is built. 
I mean, he came to Lenore Ryan as a guy who was 170-something pounds and running into 5.0 40-yard dash times. Instead, he leaves as physically built as you want a guy to be at 6'3", 222 pounds. And as you just mentioned, Corbin, I mean, running in the 4-4 is officially, and some clocks did have him in the 4-3s, despite running against the wind on that 40-yard dash time. I mean, this is an unbelievable athlete. But again, it's the versatility uh, the, the positional um, versatility, again, that I am most intrigued by. I, I thought that it was appropriate that Seattle listed him uh, wearing number jersey number 83 in that rookie minicamp. And, of course, a lot of Seahawks fans might remember Ricardo Lockett wearing number 83. And it's the, the ability to play as a wide receiver and play on special teams is what allowed Lockett to be able to make that Seattle roster. And I think it's the same kind of thing here with Derek Young. I, I think that his speed, um, his physicality allows him to potentially be able to play that gunner position. I think it also allows him to possibly be in play as a return man. And then as a receiver, his straight line speed is one of the things that really impressed me uh, during that rookie minicamp. It's just his size, his speed, his, his, his bulk. You know, we talked about this in the in the buildup to the draft, Corbin. There was not a lot of, of receivers on Seattle's roster that are over six foot. And Young absolutely has that size. He has that speed. I think that he was kind of the perfect selection to kind of cap Seattle's draft class because he is a combination of proven and also untapped potential. Yeah, I think the untapped potential thing, when you're picking in the seventh round, these are the kind of guys that you want to grab. A player that has a very high ceiling, there's going to be a learning curve. Now, you want to have a guy that's got an engineering physics degree with the learning curve because that shouldn't be near as big of an issue for him, especially when you consider the fact when we talk versatility, this is a kid that when he went to Lenore Ryan played in three totally different style offenses. He was in a modernized wing T for a year or two playing for the Bears, and they ran the football with him a lot. He had more carries out of the backfield than he did receptions as a receiver. Now they threw the ball more than a traditional wing T offense would because in today's game, it's really difficult to run that style offense and have success. But they ran that, and he excelled in it as a running back and got some reps as a receiver where he got to block and got his hand in the dirt a little bit. So he's done that. Then they brought in a spread offense. And, well, we're going to take you out of the backfield for the most part. Now you're just a receiver. We'll run some jet sweeps with you. We'll really develop your route running skills. And so he's done all that. He's played in all the phases of special teams. And all these things have been done against Division II competition. So that's the big caveat with everything that we say about this kid is that he's going to have an incredible jump in competition. Not just rookie minicamp. When he gets out there against established veterans – there are going to be some welcome to the league moments because he hasn't played players close to that caliber, but he has the physical tools that you just don't see very many receivers have. When you're talking about a guy that's 6'2", 6'3", range, over 220 pounds, that can run in the low 4'4s, maybe even 4'3s, had a sub-7-second three-cone time and basically jumped out of the building when he did his pro day. I mean, this is a guy that's got all the physical tools that you're looking for. And you could see it in that rookie minicamp, as you mentioned. You could see the speed, and clearly you could see the size a lot bigger than most of the other receivers that they had out there. They had another kid, uh, Mitchell from Florida Atlantic, that now has been cut since then. But 
he's going to, he was listed a tight end and this kid made him look tiny. So he's got really good size. He's got outstanding athletic tools. Of course, there are going to be things he's got to clean up. His coach even mentioned it yesterday, kind of a subtle, uh, in, uh, kind of a subtle look into one of his weaknesses. He dropped some passes at Lenore Ryan. So he's going to have to clean that up as a seventh round pick. You can't afford to be dropping a bunch of passes. So he's going to have to show he's reliable He's going to have to show that he can improve as a route runner and create separation against NFL corners. That is going to take some acclimating for him to get it done. And durability has been an issue for him. He's had a number of injuries dating back to high school, and that was one of the reasons why he didn't get as many looks as a recruit. He missed significant time his senior year of high school, so there weren't a lot of options for him. He missed some time with a knee injury last year, had a few other injuries he dealt with. So he's going to have to show that he can be reliable and available as a seventh-round pick to make this football team. But in terms of upside, he's a, he's got as much as any of the players the Seahawks picked on day three, maybe even day two, because of the physical traits that he has. There just aren't many receivers, even in a stacked class like this one, there aren't many receivers from a size speed standpoint that really measure up to it. No, exactly. And that's why it made so much sense for Seattle to kind of roll the dice with, with that selection. And again, you know, I mentioned Ricardo Lockett, David Moore being another one that yeah. was selected in the, in the seventh round a few years. And he wore back. 83 too. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's like that's the number that Seattle kind of just puts on receivers who have a great deal of physical potential, um, but at the same time need to become a little bit more polished as receivers, just in, in terms of how reliable are they with their hands, how reliable they, are they with their routes. And that was one of the things that I really was interested to see. We, we all remember all of the criticism that there was out there about DK Metcalf a couple of years ago. Oh, he can't run all of the routes in, the, in a typical pro-style route tree. That would be one of the things I was concerned about. Again, you have a receiver here, Derek Young, 6'3", 222 pounds. Can he change directions? Can he sink his hips and explode out of his cuts? That was one of the things I really focused in on. And that was something that I thought that he was not quite as quick as a guy like, say, a Bull Melton or whatever. But that's, you're expecting that. that. That's one of the things. When you're that big and physical, that that built, it, it, you, you lose a little bit of that flexibility as you start to develop a little bit more muscle tone. That's just the reality of it. But I was impressed by his change of direction, uh, his fluidity, and certainly his straight line speed. So if he can prove himself a reliable hands receiver catching the ball, uh, you know, when he gets his opportunities, then I do think that that as a late seventh round pick, that he absolutely is a, a very strong candidate to make Seattle's roster. And, and that is pretty rare in the NFL, but it's one of the things that Seattle has done an incredible job of over the years. And one of the things that both Young and Melton are going to have to deal with the Seahawks, like a lot of teams, they have been stashing receivers on their practice squad because of the new rules and the ability to move guys up for a few games. They only had four receivers on their roster to open last season because they felt they could cut guys and sneak them through waivers because of the saturation of the position. A guy like Young with his physical tools, though, that might not be a player that you can slip through waivers, especially if he makes some plays during the preseason. So that is something to keep an eye on. These are two very physically gifted seventh-round picks, guys that you don't often see available at that stage of the draft. And so might be a little different than with like Cody Thompson and Penny Hart where they didn't have the off-the-charts athleticism and teams just weren't lining up to claim them off waivers. These two players, uh, they might not have that luxury, and so that could help their chances of making the team. If the Seahawks truly want to keep them around, they might not be able to risk releasing them 
and trying to get him on the practice squad. We'll have to wait and see how things play out, but certainly two guys we're going to be excited to watch in OTAs, mandatory mini camp, training camp, and the preseason. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be dark, but the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to the Locked On NFL podcast on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Coming up on tomorrow's Thursday episode, I'll be riding solo. I'm going to be breaking down some details from inside the Seahawks draft room. An awesome article coming out today from John Boyle, the Seahawks staff reporter, with some insight on how things went down in the draft room. I'll be sharing my thoughts and some of that insight, along with some things that I heard along the way since the draft as well. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.